This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is economist John Williams. John is the host of the website shadowstats.com, and John calculates economic data using the methods that were once used. It's probably no secret to many listeners that the way the inflation rate is calculated has changed over the years to make the reported numbers look more favorable. John uses the old methods to calculate the inflation rate. He's going to join me in segments two and three of today's program and uh, tell us by his calculations what the actual inflation rate is and get his take on what the ultimate inflation forecast is. I know you're going to appreciate my conversation with John, so stay tuned again. I'll be talking with him in segments two and three. It is the last opportunity for you to get my October special report today. The October special report is titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. And when you go to requestyourreport.com, the website again is requestyourreport.com, I'll be very glad to get you a copy of not only the report, I'll also get you a copy of two of my best-selling books, Revenue Sourcing, the Retirement Planning Strategy for the Post-Pandemic Economy. I'll also get you a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. You will get a big box of stuff containing the October 2022 special report, again titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. And again, go to requestyourreport.com to request all that information. You know, it's been my contention for the last couple of years that stocks and real estate and bonds were all in a bubble. And certainly when you take a look at the price action of the asset classes this year, maybe with the exception of real estate, certainly it's clear that there has been a bubble. So how do bubbles form? Well, bubbles form for many reasons, but the fuel that drives bubbles, the, the, the fuel that allows bubbles to form is easy money and easy credit. Now, this is true, as we'll talk about in this segment, when it comes to stocks, it's also true when it comes to real estate. And just take a look at real estate for a moment at the beginning of the year, Interest on a 30-year mortgage was 2.75%. Interest rates now on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage would be about 7.25%. So you've seen an interest rate increase this year on a 30-year mortgage of about 4.5%. Now, if you're going out and you're buying an average house, if you're buying the the median-priced home, you're spending three hundred and seventy or $380,000 today. Let's say you put down a seventy dollars or $80,000 down payment and you're financing $300,000. Interest costs at 2.75% compared with interest costs at 7.25% are about $13,500 a year more. So if you're going out to buy that home at the beginning of the year and you're buying that home now, you're going to spend around $1,000 a month more for that home now. 
Well, the lower the interest rate is, the more affordable the payment is. And because most people buy homes using a mortgage, the lower the interest rate, the higher prices can actually rise. So that's actually what happened, I believe, in the real estate market. I believe that's also what drove stocks a lot higher. Now, some of you may not even be familiar with the fact that you can borrow money to buy stocks. You can borrow money to buy securities. That type of debt, that type of leverage is called margin debt. Now, if you have a non-IRA account, if you have a non-IRA brokerage account in which you're investing in stocks, you can use the stocks in that account as collateral, and you can borrow money pledging those stocks as security for your loan. You need to maintain a 50% equity position in your account. So as stock prices rise, more equity is created, and you can actually borrow more money and buy even more stocks. Now, this has created or helped to create a very big bubble in stocks. As I talked about on my weekly headline roundup webinar this past week, according to FINRA, margin debt in the United States exceeded $1 trillion last year. Now, when you look at margin debt, as margin debt bottoms and starts to rise, it often predicts, it often forecasts that the market has bottomed and it's ready to rise. And of course, on the other hand, when margin debt peaks and then falls, it often predicts or forecasts a market decline. Now, when you take a look at the margin debt data that was released last November, it was that and market valuations that made me say in January the market topped in December. Turns out now that's exactly what happened. And now as stocks are down year to date, we might be looking at margin debt to help us figure out when stocks might bottom. Wolf Richter, one of the commentators that I like to follow, commented on this this past week and he said, based on the current level of margin debt, we are far from any bottom. I would point to the level of margin debt that exists as well as stock valuations using the Buffett indicator to reach that same conclusion. And if you're a new listener and you're not familiar with the Buffett indicator, it simply takes the total value of all stocks and divides by gross domestic product or economic output. And by that measure, stocks are still more overvalued than they were when the tech stock bubble peaked about 20 years ago. Now, margin debt continues to fall. According to Richter, margin debt dropped $24 billion in September from August to $664 billion. Now, that's over $300 billion of margin debt that has been taken out of the market, likely through margin calls. But if you compare margin debt to the 2020 stock market low, it's still 39% above that level. 
So based on that, we expect that there may be more downside in the market. Now, again, if you are wondering what to do with your money, if you're wondering what to do with your 401k, I'd like to invite you to get my October 2022 special report. Again, it's titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. The report outlines the current economic situation. It also gives you strategies to consider moving ahead for your individual financial situation that may help you not only, not only survive, but also potentially prosper in what may lie ahead. When you request that report, I'll also send you a copy of two of my best-selling books. You'll get a copy of Revenue Sourcing, the Retirement Planning Strategy for the Post-Pandemic Economy. You'll also get a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. To get the report, the two books, and some other bonus information, all you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail the box of information. I'll be very glad to do so. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, economist John Williams. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure once again of, of interviewing uh, a gentleman. He's a, he's a very timely guest, given what the headlines are. Uh, John Williams joins us today. His website is Shadow Government Statistics. The web address is shadowstats.com. Uh, John tracks economic data using, um, I'll just say the original methodologies, but I'll let him tell you more about his work momentarily. Hey, John, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Dennis, thank you so, for, for, uh, so much for having me. So, John, for our listeners, and our audience keeps growing uh, by, by significantly, actually, uh, tell them a little bit about your work and, and how you got started doing what you do at ShadowStats.com. Well, uh, I've been an economist for a long time. Uh, started in a, I studied uh, economics at uh, Dartmouth and econometric modeling. I got into that and Tuck and got into some unusual economic forecasting. But the um, one in a family business uh, uh, imported uh, chainsaws from Germany and sold that and I. I was trained as an economist. I had developed my own econometric models on the economy and started uh, selling forecasts um, where we could forecast based on leading indicators. And that worked pretty well until the government started changing its numbers. And I say changing its numbers, um, actual redefinitions that in some cases uh, did not have a have a good motivation behind them, and uh, I found that uh, I really had to look very closely at what they were doing, and uh, I restated the government's numbers the way they used to be and uh, approached people in industry who needed uh, uh, some consistent measures of inflation and such over time, and that gave birth to uh, shadow stats. Um, i give you a very specific example of what happened. The um, federal government, <clears throat> Congress, was looking at uh, terrible cost of living adjustments back in uh, uh, 1980-81. I think it was you know, double double digit. Uh, in fact, the uh, we just had uh, 
headline inflation number of uh, 8.2% year over year in September. Last time you saw anything like that was back in uh, 1981. And at that point in time, what the government did, because this would adjust the cost of living adjustment on Social Security, and I think the um, the headline number on that something like 8.7%, they, use that, they actually use what they call the CPI uh, W, which is a, um, uh, a more specific uh, measure of, of inflation, the CPIU, which is the one that gets all the headline, but it tends to be a little higher. Um, I figure that should have been about 17%. Had they not made the changes back in, uh, uh, started making the changes back in what was in 1982, and and, uh, and what they did, very simply, was to take key elements and redefine them with a specific goal of reducing the headline consumer price index that would be used to adjust the cost of living adjustment for Social Security. Because if they could do that, that would help them, uh, uh, it would bring down the government's cost and make uh, balancing the budget uh, deficit a little easier. Not that they've balanced the budget deficit, but that they occasionally do make an effort at it. And what, so what, what happened here, first thing they did, first thing they changed, was uh, one of the biggest um, measures in the, in the CPI in terms of, of waiting, and that's, that's the, uh, the cost of owning a house. Uh, they, they invented a new concept. So instead of having uh, housing costs, it was uh, redefined as what they call homeowner's equivalent rent. What the government did was they modeled what a homeowner would be paying himself to rent his own house, renting his own house to himself. And once they had done that, then they calculated the inflation as being how much the homeowner would then uh, raise the rent on himself each month going forward in time. The uh, nonsense number, once they put the... Uh, uh, the, the new uh, calculations into effect. I think it had the number I remember seeing at the time was that it knocked one and a half percentage points off the of CPI. But that they many changes have been made over time, um, and in terms of changing the concept. And frankly, I take offense at that. I, I mean, I think the government should keep its word to uh, retired people, those on pensions who are living on. Uh, some kind of an adjustment to, tied to tied to inflation. Um, the uh, but they, the, the, the way the cost of living adjustment had been defined was it was supposed to be a measure of what was needed to maintain a constant standard of living. So the the, the housing thing was just a straight gimmick. Um, then they went after uh, some basic principles. Uh, <clears throat> for example. Um, Alan Greenspan argued that uh, well, you know, if the cost of steak goes up, people tend to buy more chicken. That's that's accurate. That people will do that, but that's not the concept of the of uh, of the of the cost of living adjustment of the CPI, uh, maintaining constant standard of living. As far as I'm concerned, having to eat chicken instead of steak is not not the uh, not, not not the same thing, and. Uh, so what they what, what they did is a whole shifting of concepts over time, but the government um, 
very straightforward about what it does. It always will tell you what it's doing. And it also estimated uh, what the different changes that it made to the CPI um, it did to the CPI. And almost every change had the effect of reducing the headline CPI. So what I did was I just reduced, uh, reverse engineered what they did. And so when they take it out, I'd put it back in and uh, reported uh, uh, what I call the shadow stat CPI, which which, uh, tends to mimic what the uh, original consumer price index would have been had they not made all the changes. So, John, let me just jump in there because... You had made a comment of 17% uh, earlier in this segment. Is that what you would estimate the actual inflation rate to be using this original uh, inflation calculation methodology? Uh, yes. In fact, it, um, for, for uh, September, where the government's number was uh, 8.2% year over year, mine was 164 uh, mine hit seven, uh, peak of 17.3 in the current reporting um, in June, which is when the government hit the uh, hit 9.1%. Um, so it uh, yes, that is uh, that's where we are right now. And again, that's interestingly the uh, what my number is is the uh, is where the cost of living hit. I think it was 1980 which triggered this whole thing. Uh, they, that to the government, that's when the Congress said, hey, we got to bring down the measurement here of the cost of living. And then it was, it was 80, it was, I think it was around 17%. And then it came down pretty close to where we are now with the headline number, you know, somewhere around 8%. That's when they made the change. That's what triggered them to do it. Um, because that was, uh, those are very expensive cost of living adjustments going forward. And right now, I think it's, again, uh, I, 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 don't count on your uh, check being this, but I think it's I think it's around 8.7% the cost of I, living adjustment. I think, I think that's right for 2023, yes. For 2023, uh, that's a significant increase. And it's going to take a bite out of the government's uh, spending, and it's going to widen their budget deficit. That's the same problem they faced 40 years ago. All these numbers you hear, the, oh, it's the highest number since 42 years ago. Um, that's because they, they reduced the way they calculated inflation after that. Um, but if you look at my number, which was the, I think it was the 1980 number, it was up around 17%, pretty close to what I've got right now. Um, my number actually is at a, now against... Uh, the way they reported at a 75-year high, so that's um, it's 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 just the just the way they shifted the reporting around, but it's um, it was it was a significant change. It did save them some money. It uh, on the backs of people collecting social security, the cost of living adjustment uh, it was not reasonable. As far as I was concerned, I didn't think it was right. But that that's what the government did. And so, they, John, let, let me ask you just quickly. We've got a couple minutes left in this segment. The Fed is now talking tough, but the interest rate increases uh, don't seem to be nearly enough, at least in my view, to get inflation under control. What do you say? They're doing it completely backwards, and they know it. 
the uh, the Fed has, as, as I view it, the Fed is basically doing what it needs to keep the banking system uh, afloat and solvent. The, the Federal Reserve is owned by the banking system. The local banks on the regional Federal Reserve banks on up the line. Uh, um, there's a couple of things that are driving the inflation. Number one is the money supply. No, no, no question. And that is not that's not coming down. And in fact, there's some extraordinary numbers with that, which I'll I'll get into. Um, you have um, the supply distortion from the pandemic that's still affecting things. What's not driving the inflation right now is an overheated economy. If you listen to the Fed, say, "Oh, the economy's so strong, we have to raise interest rates in order to 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 cool it and bring down the inflation." If it was an overheated economy and that was driving the inflation, then raising interest rates would help to reduce um, the, the, the inflation. Um, but that's not what's happening. The economy is uh, moribund, and it's in fact a lot of signs that it's 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 it's. Uh, Declining again. We had two negative quarters, first quarter, second quarter of this year. Looks we've got a third quarter number coming out at the end of this week that probably is going to be on the plus side according to Fed estimates, up around two percent. But the um, the GDP is overstated by about that. But if you look at the uh, employment numbers, pay- payroll employment just recovered its pre-pandemic peak uh, last month. We're, we're well under the pandemic here, but just last month it recovered it by about 100,000 jobs. Where normally you'd gain 200,000 jobs a month in a, in a standard economy, uh, That's uh, that 200,000 jobs reflects uh, students coming into the workforce and that of people retiring. Right now we're about 5 million jobs shy of where we should be uh, had we had had we had a normal economy and what the economy should be able to support right now, the economy's not not back to normal. It's uh, far shy of uh, where it should be uh, in, in the employment. Uh, it's not it's not an overheating economy that's driving the uh, the, the inflation. Well, the, the reason the Fed is raising the interest rates is it wants to get interest rates higher. Banks need higher interest rates. They also want to maintain liquidity. They want the liquidity in the system. That's why they're not reducing the the money supply. If they were reducing the money supply, they could bring the they could bring the inflation rate down. But they're not doing that. So things things are right now. Um, you're you're getting a little bit of double talk out of the Fed, um, but they're not really doing anything to bring the inflation down. John, I'm going to have to end it there, this segment where the clock says we're out of time. But the good news is uh, economist John Williams will be joining us again in the next segment. If you'd like to learn more about his work, and I'd encourage you to do that, go to shadowstats.com. John's website is Shadow Government Statistics. The web address is shadowstats.com. I'll return after these words with more with John Williams. This is RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tubergen, your host. I am joined today uh, by John Williams. John is an economist. Uh, his website is Shadow Government Statistics. Uh, I follow his work. I'd encourage you to do the same. Uh, Shadowstats.com is the website. Um, So, John, uh, you you mentioned in the last segment, and I thought this was interesting, that, uh, 
you know, the Fed increasing interest rates really um, isn't going to solve the inflation problem uh, because we do not have an economy that is overheating. We have actually uh, the, the opposite. So well, let me just ask you a question. Where, where do you think, what's your forecast? Where does inflation ultimately go from here? Well, it is, uh, I, I mean, we're, it depends uh, to a certain extent uh, on, on uh, both the, um, the Fed and the federal government because uh, it's not just the Fed that's triggering the inflation. The federal government's uh, continuing to uh, increase its debt. Um, which is, and it's uh, de- deficit overall. Um, that has uh, <clears throat> been uh, helping to fuel the uh, fuel, fuel the inflation. Uh, I I think the inflation is going to get a lot worse. What you've seen, uh, if you go back the last couple of months, they had uh, we had two things happen here. Or uh, let me just look at look at one very specific thing. If you look at the head the headline numbers out of the uh, uh, out of um, Uncle Sam headline uh, CPI peaked in June at nine point one, then it drops to eight point five July, eight point three in August, eight point two in September. So it sounds like it's coming down. Not so, no, not so. Um, the reason that dropped was that uh, um, the uh, the president ordered uh, some release of uh, uh, petroleum reserves, which reduced gasoline prices. And he want to get a quick shift in the uh, aggregate uh, CPI, um, make a major shift in uh, gasoline prices, and that well, that will do it. And that's what we saw here. So what happened with the uh, drop in gasoline prices is that. Uh, um, the third uh, third quarter um, inflation was lower. Well, of course, the third quarter inflation is the same one that's used for the cost of living adjustments next year. So I'm not saying they were manipulating the, uh, uh, the CPI like the uh, uh, government did uh, b- back in the early 80s, but it looks like maybe they, there are some changes made here that helps, helps lower it. I think you're going to see that bouncing back up in the uh, quarter ahead, they can't keep uh, reducing the uh, petroleum reserves. And um, without the uh, Fed taking uh, meaningful action here to reduce it, uh, I think you're going to get uh, up to 10% uh, probably in the uh, by the end of the year, year-over-year year, uh, CPI and, and, and very easily accelerating beyond that, gets to a point where you start to see some talk of hyperinflation. That's a risk. Um, I, I can't tell you for sure it's going to happen, but it's, it's, it's the type of thing that I'm, um, I, I think is a real risk. And uh, given the uh, way the Fed is handling the economy right now, uh, you could have, um, we're certainly in a hyper, we're in an inflationary economic downturn, depression, and it could become a hyperinflationary downturn or depression. And the uh, type of thing that uh, can save you there, what I would look at, is holding uh, uh, physical gold and silver. Now, I know uh, gold and silver prices are depressed right now amazingly uh, against the inflation 
picture. I mean, I'm highly suspect of uh, <clears throat> what's happening there. I, 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 I have a high degree of confidence that somebody's playing games with the uh, precious metals to um, um, try and encourage investment elsewhere. The, the, the Fed, the federal government, never liked to see high gold prices because they're not doing their job. But when you get inflation like this, this is, this, this is not inflation that's going to go away. It's, it, 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 it's going to get worse. You, you, have, um, you have the uh, long-term inflation head shelter of the physical precious metals. And I would, I would, uh, I would look to uh, physically hold coin, uh, coins and uh, silver coins and gold coins, coins from the standpoint that, uh, you know, the, if we get into a hyperinflation, which I, th I, I believe is a risk, um, you may be using those to barter for goods. So, so John, what, if I can interrupt, you, you say hyperinflation and depression. Those are both very scary terms to our listeners. Um, what, what would you say, if you were to handicap this, what's the probability of such an outcome in your view? Is it highly probable? Is it a, an outside possibility? What, 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 what does John Williams think the probability is? Well, it's uh, it obviously depends on things, things how things break here. But um, as things stand right now, I put it about uh, uh, forty forty percent for a uh, uh, a depression like economic downturn, and uh, uh, in terms of uh, accompanying inflation, uh, I'd look for the inflation to be. Uh, Higher than you'd expect in that type of circumstance, and in the in the thirty uh, percent range for hyperinflation. Wow! So this is not this is not a small possibility. Um, d John, do you do you see that ultimately this uh, this hyperinflation uh, will be a worldwide phenomenon, and how do you think it affects currencies? Well, it's. Uh, I, uh, given the uh, way people are handling their economies and money supplies right now, it's, there's a fair shot of that uh, going going global. But the uh, U.S. is uh, is, is uh, probably the, uh, the the greatest risk here in terms of its uh, overall impact on the global economy and and uh, the way the uh, government and the Fed seem to be handling things. Um, I'd watch. I'd watch the U.S. and uh, if you um, again, again the, um, the the hedge I would look at, at there is uh, physical precious metals, and I think that's one reason they're they're, they're being depressed. And if you get into uh, hyper hyper circumstance, if you get into a point where you actually need to, we have a a, a currency that, 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 that collapses. And there have been examples of that. Uh, nothing of the scope of the uh, of, of the United States in uh, in, uh, in in modern years. But the uh, uh, you, you know you look at Zimbabwe or well even the uh, Weimar Republic. That's you know that's that's uh, I guess almost a century ago. But uh, you look at how people survived it. And it was uh, basically through hard assets and not hanging on to their 
depreciating cash much. So, John, uh, in the in the time we have left, um, what, in your view, is the relationship between an ongoing federal budget deficit and hyperinflation? Uh, to, to what extent does the, the, do these big deficits contribute to to hyperinflation potentially? Well, the bigger the uh, the worse. They're not they're not hyperinflationary yet, but um, again, you're looking at the you, the, the the inflation becomes uh, self-feeding, and that's uh, again look what happened uh, 42 years ago. 17 percent inflation. They redefined inflation. You still have that inflation there. I mean, that's my um, that's why where my numbers are. I mean, if you look at my my inflation numbers, they're not a, they're not hyperinflationary, but they're a lot closer. And people would be thinking of it as being a lot closer if they if they saw those numbers. You get up towards twenty percent, and people are going to be worrying about it. And I, I think I think we have a chance of seeing that headline uh, in the next year or so. Wow, that's that's uh, that's that is scary. That is scary. So, uh, John, when it comes to uh, looking at the role that precious metals have pay, played in. Uh, past inflationary or hyperinflationary environments. Um, can you talk a little bit? Do, 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 will metals help people maintain uh, their purchasing power? Do, do, do they gain in purchasing power historically? How have metals performed? Uh, they, it preserves the purchasing power. And let me tell you, I mean, I've, I've been learning in this process as well, and uh, I've been learning some from my own numbers. Um, what I did with my alternate CPI measure that calculates the CPI that it, the way it was before the government changed it in 1982. And let me say that that was, that was when there was a big change in the CPI. Before that, was fairly consistent. I think it was a fair CPI estimate um, before they started changing it. And so what, what I did in estimating what it would be had they not made the changes and I've given you the current numbers on it. Um, I thought I thought I would um, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd look at plots of year-to-year change and things like that in comparison but what I did was I was well, let's just plot the price of gold against my index and against the consumer price index. Well my index and the consumer price index are the same before 1982 Minus the CPI, but just restated for what happened in the the changes after 1982 and after. So um, when I when I plotted them together, I was shocked. Uh, I didn't have to change the scale. Pure coincidence, but you have um, if you, if you look at the current headline CPI. They had the base year used to just have a single base year. Now I think it's uh, 1982, 1984 equals 100 average there. My index and the government's index are on the same basis. So you go back before where it's 100, and where we've got the same numbers going back in time. You go back to 1971 when Nixon uh, floated the dollar, and uh, the 
price indices are around average around 79 at that point. Price of gold averaged about 79 then too. So the price is just pure coincidence. So plotting them going forward, what I found was that when you get past 82, 1982, uh, gold follows my index, not the government's. The government's just sort of falls off. Mine goes almost exponential. Now, it's, it's not perfect, but it's, uh, I'll be posting this uh, uh, in the next week or two that shows the plot. Um, it's, it's, it's very close over time. Sometimes the gold leads, usually the gold leads the, the, uh, my, my index, but there's also an overlap and they're roughly the same order of magnitude based on my price index. Gold should be, uh, should, should have been over 2000 uh, bucks at the end of last year. Uh, we're not, we're not there now, but, um, we'll see where it goes. But over time, gold and the, Inflation have held together, so it's, it, it, it preserves a purchasing power. You can, uh, and, and it's, but it's done this over the millennia. I mean, you can, you can uh, if you buy a loaf of bread in ancient Rome and a loaf of bread here today, you do the same, uh, you use the same amount of gold. It's, um, it's a store of wealth, and they get into a hyperinflation, bad inflation circumstance. Uh, the store of wealth is uh, is a good thing to have. Well, John, the clock says we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. John Williams. Check out his website at shadowstats.com. John, always a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thanks for joining us and giving, giving us an update. We'd love to have you back down the road. Uh, thank you, Dennis. I appreciate you having me, and I'd uh, be happy to with you any, be with you any time. I appreciate that, as do the listeners. We will return after these words. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen, and thanks again to economist John Williams for joining us on today's program. If you're just tuning in, I am offering the October 2022 special report for the last time today. The report is titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. When you request that report, I will be glad to also send you a copy of two of my best-selling books, You'll get a copy of Revenue Sourcing, the Retirement Planning Strategy for the Post-Pandemic Economy. You'll also get a copy of my book, The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. If you go to the website, requestyourreport.com, and let me know where to mail this information, I'll be very glad to do so. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. You know, it has been my view that The U.S. has been in recession since the first of the year, and while there are those that might disagree with that, we did have economic contraction for the first two quarters of the year, meeting what has always been the technical definition of a recession. Now, when you take a look at one thing that's not often talked about, but I think it should be the one thing that is most often talked about, That is debt levels. And when you look at debt levels in the economy today, of course, there's government debt. U.S. government debt now has surpassed $31 trillion for the first time in history. Deficits are still sky high. And that certainly is a factor, I believe, in the inflation that we're seeing. But when you take a look at debt levels that exist in the private sector today, and I talk about this in the October special report, Anatomy of a Recession, 
We have private sector debt that when measured as a percentage of the economy rivals levels that existed in 1929 at the beginning of the Great Depression. At the end of calendar year 2020, private sector debt was 235% of economic output or gross domestic product. Now that is an unsettling statistic. However, there's another layer to this proverbial onion. The U.S. dollar, the currency in which economic output is measured, as you all know, is a mere shadow of its former self. Now, I've often used this example to make the point, so forgive me if you've heard it before, and I will try to be expeditious in the explanation. In 1971, then-President Nixon eliminated the link between the U.S. dollar and gold. Prior to that date, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold. It was exchangeable for gold at the rate of $35 an ounce. Now let's go back to 1971. The price of a new, co- a new home in 1971 was about $25,000. If you had $25,000 in cash, you could buy a new house. If you had 700 ounces of gold, you could also buy a new house. Now, as I talked about in the first segment, the average price of a new home today is about $380,000. And the $25,000 that would have purchased that entire home in 1971 is now not even a down payment on that average home. But the 700 ounces of gold that would have bought one home in 1971 would today buy nearly four average homes. Here's the point. In U.S. dollars, the price of a home has appreciated considerably. Priced in gold, the price of a home has declined appreciable, appreciably. rather. So the metric or the measuring stick used to measure prices establishes perspective. Now, I bring this up to make the point that all economic data today is measured in U.S. dollars. So if I use that house factor, a home has appreciated by a factor of 15-fold due to U.S. dollar devaluation. So since U.S. economic output is also measured in dollars, wouldn't it be reasonable to make the same assumption when measuring economic output? In 1971, GDP, or gross domestic output, was $1.65 trillion dollars. If we increase that number by 15, we get $24.75 trillion. Based on our real estate example, perhaps that is our inflation-adjusted GDP number. The actual GDP, $22.99 trillion in 2021. The economy has actually contracted since 1971 when measured in gold. So the metric, the measuring stick used, makes all the difference. I talk about this in the October 22 special report and give you some strategies to consider for your own personal situation. Again, the special report is titled Anatomy of a Recession, Strategies for the Current Economy. Let me know where to mail that and the two best-selling books, and I'll be very glad to do so. The website is requestyourreport.com. The website, once again, to get all all that information is requestyourreport.com. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.